Lord, we just thank you for the chance to uh, come and expect to hear from you through the word of God this morning. Lord, we ask uh, just your blessing upon this time. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would just speak to us. Lord, that you would find in us hearts that are open um, to you, to what you want to say. I pray, God, that you just bring clarity to our hearts in regards to your word this morning and that your spirit would just anoint this time, Lord. And so we just ask your blessing upon it in Jesus' name. Amen. Right on. So we're uh, in Romans 8. I think, I always think like Romans 8 to me seems like it's like one of the great chapters of the Bible, one of the great chapters of the New Testament. And um, as we've been cruising through this section of Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, we're not going to get through all of chapter 8 this morning. We'll take a bit of a, a look at a section of it. We called this just living for Jesus, the life of security. And um, where we left off and where we've been in this discussion is this. You see there's some different faces here this morning. And so let me just kind of bring you up to speed. We have been talking about, as we're working through Romans, salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And one of the things that we've really been seeing as we've been working through, through Romans is this, is that salvation is a process. That so often we want to turn salvation into something that was an event, maybe a past event or still a future event for some of you. And it is. There's an event part to salvation, but salvation also is, is, is something that's very present in your life if you're following Jesus and it's something also very futuristic. It's got a, ho a hope for the future. And so we've been saying this and beating this drum that, that I have been saved, I am being saved, and I am going to be saved. And so it's a, it's a process that we enter into with Jesus. And so Paul, as he's telling us about this, this life of righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ, he's, he's brought out some points to us, and, and he told us about grace, and in, in chapter 6 he said this, Now because of this, because you have freedom from sin, don't take that and turn it into a license to sin. Don't do that. You're free from sin. You're free from the power of sin. And that was the message in chapter 6. And then he got to chapter 7 and he flipped the argument and he turned it the other way. He said, now, now just because you're, you're free from sin, you also need to know this, that you're free from the law. And so don't take grace in Jesus Christ and turn it into some legalistic system where you were first saved by grace and now you think by rules you're going to complete things. And so it's, it's, it's freedom from sin when you're in Jesus and it's freedom from law when you're in Jesus. It's not license to sin and it's not a right to legalism in the faith. And so we're, we're learning to, to walk by grace. And Paul, as he's, as he's talking in this discussion about grace, he's very personal in chapter seven. It's like he shares this battle that's within him. That he's wrestling against his flesh and he desires the things of the spirit and he's frustrated when, when the flesh wins out and where we left off is, is in Romans chapter 7 verse 24. I love what Paul says about him. Let, you can take a, a peek there. He says this in verse 24. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? He says this. How can I overcome? Or he says not this. How can I overcome? Not how can I have victory? And kind of where we left off is, 
as we, as we were chatting in Romans chapter 7 was the, was the question that Paul was asking. It's an important question because Paul's, well, the reality is, is this. When you ask the wrong question, you get the wrong answer. And so Paul asks for us the right question, and he shows us what the right question is. And the right, the right question for us as we're going in grace is never how. The right question is who. Not how can I overcome, but through whom can I overcome? And look at Romans chapter 7, verse 25, the last verse there, it says this, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And so the right question always begins with who? Jesus, man. Always take me to Jesus. Always take yourself to Jesus. And so that's the, that's the victory here. That's the right question. The flesh, the carnal man says how. The spiritual man says who. And he goes to Jesus. Who will rescue us? Who will rescue me? And so with Christ's rescue in mind, with this question in mind, Paul now jumps into Romans chapter 8. You know, as we read these things, it's like sometimes it kind of, you know what would be kind of nice? I mean, this would kill you guys, but it'd be kind of nice for me if I could just teach Romans 6, 7, and 8 all in one shot, you know, keep you here for like eight hours. No. But, you know, one of the things that we stumble over sometimes is these chapter breaks in our Bible. Those weren't there. When Paul's, when Paul's writing this letter, he's not, okay, let's stop, turn the page, it's a new chapter. And so there's not a break in thought here. He's continuing on in this, this same discussion Freedom from sin, not license. Freedom from the law, not legalism. Now he wants to take the conversation to this point. So what is life? It's about life in the spirit, and learning to walk with the spirit of God. In Romans chapter eight, and Paul is gonna tell us that there are three things that are characteristic. There they are, you're already up there. Three things that are characteristic to life in the spirit. The first one is this, there's freedom. In the spirit of God, there is freedom. The second is this, is futility. Now that's a weird word. You think, what? There's futility in the spirit? The NIV says it in a great way. It says frustration. There's a certain frustration when you walk in the spirit because you're longing for the coming of Jesus. You look at this world. You, the, Paul's gonna tell us creation is groaning. That we are groaning, groaning, that the spirit of God is groaning within us. That there is a frustration and there is a futility in this life when you walk in the spirit. And then he's going to go on to tell us about a fearlessness as a characteristic of life in the spirit. And so this morning, this is what we're going to do. We're only just going to hit a por portion of this chapter and we're going to look at freedom. First, uh, the freedom in verses 1 to 17. And that's the first thing that Paul wants to tell us about in relation to life in the spirit. And the first thing he wants us to know is this, is that freedom means something into regards to condemnation. And so he says this, let's read verses one through four of chapter eight, it says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according 
to the Spirit. Now again, let's just read verse 1 for a moment. He says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Paul says there's no condemnation. The law, if we think about the law, what does the law do? The law is that mirror. That law is, the law of God is that, ref, that, that mirror upon which we look upon ourselves and we see our shortcomings and our failures and that we fall short of the glory of God. The law condemns. But in Christ, Paul is telling us this, right on this same theme, we have a new relationship with the law. Our relationship to the law has changed. And therefore, because you are in Christ and your relationship to the law has changed, you cannot be condemned. That's an awesome thing. And I, I, I think about my relationship with the law. We think about, we saw this. We, we, we talked about this last week. I encourage you, if maybe if you weren't here and you want to go back, you can go back and, and listen to it on our website from, from Romans chapter 7. But we saw this. That in relationship to the law, it's like, a, it's like marriage. Remember Paul said that? He said there's, n- there's not an option out. Something, for, for there to be an option out, he says there, there actually has to be death. And in your relationship to the law, it's like you're married to the law. And to get out of it, to escape it, someone has to die. And so Paul told us this, you died in Christ. When Christ was nailed to that tree, you were nailed there with him and you're dead to the law. And so I can't get myself out of, out of the struggle, out of my relationship with the law. But what Paul is telling us is this, is that Jesus can. That the spirit of God will set me free from my relationship to the law. And what we need to see is that Paul, is, Paul does not say that there is less condemnation. You know, you ever think that? It's like, yeah, this is like a slightly... Different relationship for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, no, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, that's an important thing. You know, when you're like wrestling with your spirit and, or in your heart or in your mind and it's like there are thoughts of condemnation, this is a great scripture verse, isn't it? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we have to recognize the source of where that condemnation is coming from, whether it's maybe from ourself or from the devil or maybe some legalist or from the world, and we got to remind ourselves, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's easy to think that with Jesus, you know, our situation's improved. But what we really need to know is this, is that in Jesus, not only has our situation improved, but we have been transformed. The old is gone, the new has come. Now, of course, that doesn't mean I'm perfect or you're perfect, This verse doesn't say no failures, doesn't say no mistakes, doesn't say no sins. It says no condemnation. And you know, I read my Bible and I'm like, I was in a conversation this week. We were just yapping about it. It's like, I love that the Bible just shows people as being so real. It shows all their failures and shortcomings. It's like, you know, Abraham lied, lied about his wife and David was an adulterer and a murderer, Peter himself, attempted murder. He pulled out that sword and in the Garden of Gethsemane, he sought to kill Malchus. And there were consequences for each of them in their action, but God did not condemn them. They, they dropped the ball at that part 
of their, of their lives. And so when we, when we look at this verse, to me the key is this. It says the, the key to this verse is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you got a pen, you might want to underline that word in because that word in is so important throughout this chapter. We saw this going back to Romans 5. You're, you're in Adam or you're in Christ. And so Paul says this. The key is your relationship to Jesus. If you're in Jesus, there is no condemnation. And so Paul is going to take some time and he's going to tell us about this new life of the spirit and its freedom from condemnation. He says in verse 2, for the spirit, you're jumping ahead of me there, Jonas, so go back one. For the spirit of the law, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So the first thing he tells us is this, is that the law cannot claim you. When you are in Jesus, the law cannot claim you. Remember Romans 6? We said this when we talked about sin. It was like an old boss. I told you a story about getting fired from a job. And, and we saw this, that, that Paul says, when, when you end a relationship with your employer or with your master, if you're the slave and he's the master, or you're the employee and they're the employer, when that relationship ends, you do not go on submitting in that relationship any longer to that employer or that master. And Paul told us this, sin is not the boss. Sin is no longer your master. No longer, because in Christ you have a new relationship with sin. And he told us, and because you are in Christ, you have a new relationship with the law. And the law cannot make its claim on you any longer. So just like sin, I don't work for you. The law is the same. I don't work for you, law. I don't work, I'm in Jesus and there is no condemnation for those in Jesus. He says, in the spirit, you've been set free. You've been set free. Look at verse three. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And so because you've been set free and because the law cannot claim you as its master anymore, the second thing Paul tells us is this. The law cannot condemn you. This is his whole point here. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now why can't the law condemn you? Because, because Jesus has already suffered condemnation on your behalf on the cross. The law can't save you. We know this. The law could only condemn us. And so God, in his great love, sent his son Jesus Christmas time. The babe in the manger, the Christ child, God clothed in flesh, and he came to save us, and he came to do for us what the law could not do. That's save us. Set us free from sin. And so Jesus came to this earth as a man. He was not a sinner like you and I. We, we know that, but, but he came in the likeness of sinful man, and he bore our sins in his body on that tree on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins. And since we are in Christ, we are not condemned. You know, many Christians kind of miss that phrase. It's an interesting phrase in that verse, that it, but it tells us that Jesus came in the likeness of humanity. Philippians 2, Paul goes into further detail about this. Jesus coming in the likeness of humanity. You know, we think, wow, I wonder what that was like, you know. There's a... Uh, 
a portion of the church that, you know, we say, well, it was an immaculate conception. And we can almost get this sense from this that, that, that Mary was sinless. But that's not the case. Mary had human flesh. She was in Adam like you and I are in Adam. And it's amazing that a woman who was in Adam carried the Christ child. And it's like this great mystery. It's like, how did, I, I wish I could explain it to you. I can't explain it. This is miraculous that the Son of God in his deity put on human flesh. How do you explain that? You can't, that's, that's mysterious. That's meant to be a mystery, I believe. And when the scripture tells us Jesus took on the likeness of man, it's, it's, it's not just the appearance of man. It means this, that he took on exactly the, the human nature. And that's amazing. Because what that means is this, is that Jesus had to fight battles like you and I did. He wasn't immune. He wasn't immune. We have to fight battles with the world and the flesh and the devil. And Jesus had to fight those same battles, though he was the son of God, clothed in human flesh. He, he inherited human nature from his mother, and he inherited deity from his father. And we know who his father was. And he overcame the world. He overcame the devil. He overcame the flesh. Jesus was victorious over every single enemy that he faced. And that's an awesome thing. He overcame and he never sinned. And the amazing thing of that, that he was born in, in sinful likeness and flesh and yet he never sinned, that means this. He can come and he can help me in my flesh to have victory over the world, the flesh and the devil. He can help me in all of my temptations. And so look at what Paul says in verse 4. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. And so the third thing Paul tells us about life in the spirit with regards to freedom is this, is that the law cannot control you. It's an important thing. It's important, you know, sometimes we wonder, well, what, what is my relationship to the Old Testament? And we would say this, well, the Old Testament points us to the new and the new points us to the old. You, you need one another. It's like my two legs that I'm standing on. Take one away, I'm going down. I need both of them. And yet my relationship to the law now has to be totally interpreted through Jesus because of life in the spirit. And the law cannot control you. The believer in Jesus, I'm, I'm righteous. You are righteous. I've met the requirements of the law because of Jesus. Not by, you know, the power of living out the law, but by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in me. We've been given the free gift of righteousness. And Paul told us previously we're to reign in life because of Jesus. And so when we talk about being righteous, we have to recognize that the law does not have power to produce holiness in me. That's not my relationship to the law, that I become a legalist so that I be holy. But what he's telling us here is the Spirit of God does. As, as I rely upon him and the freedom that comes upon him, from him, the, the Holy Spirit enables us and empowers us to walk in obedience to God. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. But my power to do that doesn't come by following rules. It comes by reliance on the Holy Spirit. And the righteousness that God demands from us is met and it is fulfilled in Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit 
He's saying, in the Holy Spirit, we have life. In him, we have freedom. And so the amazing thing is this, is that in Christ, we have a choice. We've seen this. The, these two masters, we've been set free from these two masters, and we willingly bow the knee to a new master, Jesus. We willingly surrender our lives to, holy, to the Holy Spirit. But you and I know this, that, that that's a choice that you and I make every day. We have a choice. We, need, we can either walk according to the flesh or we can walk according to the Spirit. And the choice has to be made every day and in every step of life along this journey, this process of salvation. And we're learning. Oh, I'm choosing the Spirit, Lord. Man, I blew it. Shoot. Lord, I come back to you in Jesus and I choose the Spirit. I choose to walk in the Spirit. And every decision we make is either on one of two levels. It's according to the flesh or it's according to the Spirit. And what Paul is telling us is we have freedom. We can choose to make decisions according to the Spirit. You know, when you think about it, those who don't know Jesus, non-Christians, they don't have that choice. They do not have that freedom. I told you this before. Outside of the family of God and those who know Jesus, people actually don't know what freedom is because they're not free. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They, they have to choose everything according to their flesh. They, they have to choose according to this world and according to the desires of their their body, and they make their decisions that match their spirit. They belong to the world. But what Paul's telling us is this, is that we belong to Jesus, and we have a choice. We can say, I'm going to choose this fleshly thing, or I'm going to choose to walk in the spirit. And so as Paul tells us this, he begins to just contrast between those who know Jesus and those who don't know Jesus, the saved and the unsaved, the fleshly mind and the mind of the spirit. And he describes the, the futility of trying to please God in your flesh versus those who just live by the spirit. Check out, let's read verse five through eight actually. He says this. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, you know, this, he's, he's talking about this, this battle that exists for us between the flesh and the spirit. You know, I, this is working itself out in our lives as we follow Jesus all the time. Let me give you an example from my own life. You know my family. We're like a hockey family. That's what we do. That's what we do, man. Like, if we're not doing church, it seems like we're doing hockey. And I'm in a battle all the time in my heart because of that. Because I'm like, Lord, I want to choose the things of the spirit. I enjoy this. But I do not want this whatsoever to usurp you in my life and in my family. And so it's a battle because it's demanding time from me. It's demanding money from me. It's demanding my family from me. And I have to put it in its place and say, no, we do this. We're a part of a team, but I don't serve you, flesh. I want to serve the things of God, and it's a battle. 
It's a battle. You have things like that in your life all the time. And so look at what Paul says in verse 5. He says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And so he contrasts the fleshly mind and the spirit mind, and he says this. You're there. Perfect. The fleshly mind is in the natural, and the spiritual mind is in the spirit. Simple observation, right? That those who live according to the sinful nature do not have the Holy Spirit. They, they live in the natural, for the natural. Their mind is focused on the natural and the desires of their flesh. He's saying this. The fleshly mind is a servant of its own body or its own desires. But those who are in Jesus, those who are in Christ, the saved, they have the Holy Spirit, they have the mind of Christ, and they are called to live a life that is beyond that of the flesh. A life that is beyond that of the natural. Our minds, as followers of Jesus, the spiritual mind is to be fixed on the things of the Spirit. That's why we battle. Because it's like, wow, this thing's pulling at me. This thing's pulling at me. And this thing's pulling at me. And yet, Jesus, I want your mind. I, I don't want to live in the natural. I want to live supernaturally as I depend on the Holy Spirit. Look what else Paul says about the mind of sinful man in verse 6. It's the next point. He says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So Paul says the fleshly mind is death and the mind of the spirit is life and peace. Now those who don't know Jesus experience physical life, but the scripture tells us this, that they are spiritually dead. On the inside, their spirit is dead. Their inner man is dead and therefore they're unable to respond to the Holy Spirit. Certainly many people who don't know Jesus, there, there are many people who don't know Jesus, they live moral lives, they live religious lives, you get the white picket fence and everything might be in order or this or that, but the scripture says if they don't have Jesus, they're spiritually dead. And they need to come to Jesus to be born again and to enter this life of being controlled by the spirit. Remember Jesus, he said this, he said, I, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. And Paul tells us, those who don't have the spirit, they're dead. They don't really know what life is. I remember uh, a few years back, I was having this conversation with a fella, and uh, it's just one of those great opportunities where it was like, man, we got down to the nitty-gritty, and we were, talking, we were talking faith and life, and I told him, I just said, like, straight up. So, you know, sometimes you just get those ones that's just, like, so straight up. And other times it's just a battle, but it was like, this was one of those straight up Holy Spirit moments. I said to him, you know, I have peace in my heart. I literally have a feeling of peace in my heart and a peace that rests over my mind. And I've just discovered that as I follow Jesus, it's like my time with Jesus, I'm totally dependent upon it. My experience of that peace in my heart and mind, like I need to be with Jesus every day. And I was telling him about having a quiet time and and spending time with the Lord, just like you would spend time with, with people. And uh, as I was sharing with this guy, and he was sharing with me some of his hardships, when, when I told him this, I'm like, I have peace. He said to me, he just, he totally interrupted me, and he said, I have no peace. He said, I'm burdened by life. 
He said, all I do is work. And I told him the words of Jesus. Jesus, I said, look, man, Jesus gives this invitation. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You just sold me your burden? Jesus used that exact word. He said, he'll give burdened people rest. And, you know, I told him, you need Jesus in your life. I invited him to church. He's never come yet. But he said, one day I'm going to come. So we'll see. Still praying for him. So catch what Paul says. He says this. The mind controlled by the spirit is one of life and peace. Life and peace. That's why it's amazing that the scripture gives us lots of instruction about anxiety, about worry. That if those things are gripping our heart, our mind has gone to fleshly places, to worldly places. We need to be with Jesus and wrestle that in. Let him bring his peace and life. In verse seven, he gives us another contrast of the fleshly mind and the spiritual mind. Look at verse seven. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So I'd say this, the fleshly mind is hostile to God. The spirit mind has peace with God. It's not fighting against, the spirit mind is not fighting against God. It's fighting to be with God. Say, Lord, I'm gonna rest in you. I'm gonna put my hope in you. But the fleshly mind, the fleshly nature is at war against God. Re rebelling against them, there's, there's hostility. It's a, it's a fight. There's a refusal to submit to his law. But those who trust in Jesus, Paul tells us, they enjoy peace with God. You know, Isaiah said something amazing. Isaiah 48, 22, he said this. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. There's no peace. For those who don't know Jesus, that is the reality. There is no peace. Look at what he says in verse 8. He says, for those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This is the last point I'm going to give you on the fleshly mind versus the spiritual mind. The fleshly mind lives to please self, where the spirit mind pleases God. And so to be controlled by the, the sinful nature means to be, to be lost, to be spiritually dead, to be outside of Christ. Those controlled by their sinful nature live to please themselves. In fact, Paul says this, because they're living to please themselves, they can't please God. That, that, that person only thinks about pleasing self. And so the condition of being unsaved, I would say this, the condition of not knowing Jesus, that's the lowest level of living that there is. That's the lowest level of living that one person can experience to be alive physically, but to be dead spiritually. At war with God. Living to satisfy the selfish desires of the flesh. But Paul says those who are alive unto God with the mind of the spirit, they please God. We want to please God. I want to please God. So we want the mind of the spirit. But for those who are in Christ, uh, Paul's going to go on to say this, that they've been empowered to, to live by the Holy Spirit and he gives some conditions for it. Let me ch let's check it out. Verse 9 to 17, I'm going to read it right through. He says this, speaking of you who are in Christ. You, who are, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. In fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, 
Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Paul gives us some conditions to this life in the spirit. That's what I would call this section. And he actually uses the word if six times. If you got a pen, as you cruise through there, you might want to circle it. Because the Bible often gives us conditions. It's like, you know, in some areas, he doesn't do it here, but sometimes we call it the if-then clause in scripture. God says, if you do this, then I will do this. And it's like a contract. And so the Lord here gives some ifs to, to life in the spirit through Paul. And he, and he says, first of all, you, however, are not in the flesh if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. So the key here is, does the spirit of God dwell in me? Paul said this to the Corinthians. He said, do you not know you're living the fleshy life. Do you not know that the spirit of God lives in you? That you're, his, that you're his temple? And the evidence that we are followers of Jesus is that the Holy Spirit lives in us. He resides in us. He is seeking to lead us. He's made his home in us. There's no temple except this one. He's made his home here. To dwell here. And if you don't have the spirit, Paul just says straight up, then you don't have Christ. Now to me, that kind of just brings up the thought, well, it's like, well, then how do I know I have the spirit? Do I have the spirit? Like, I, like, I need to know if I have the spirit because then if I have the spirit, then I have Christ. And so maybe the question might be, well, how do you know that you have the Holy Spirit? Well, I would say this. Has the spirit led you to Jesus? The Spirit is always leading people to Jesus. That is his job. You know, sometimes we feel like we don't put enough emphasis on the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I feel like that's so much in our church. I'm like, man, I want more emphasis on the Spirit. But it's kind of unique that that is actually the role of the Spirit. This role of the Spirit is not to bring people to himself. He's not like, talk about me, talk about me, talk about me. His job is this. Talk about Jesus, man. He's like pointing People to Jesus. And so if Jesus is being pointed to, then the spirit of God is work. You can always know, you can always know that. And so let's, let me ask you this question. Has the spirit of God led you to Jesus? We know this, that the scripture tells us that, you, that if, if you've invited Jesus into your heart and your life, then the scripture tells us that the spirit comes and he begins to indwell us and he becomes a deposit, a guarantee of the inheritance that is yet to come. 
He's a deposit. So another question would be, have you invited Jesus into your heart and your life? If you have, then you have the Holy Spirit. Or how about this question? Has the Spirit put in you a desire to honor Jesus? Do you in your life desire to honor Jesus? That is a sign of the working of the Holy Spirit. Is the Spirit leading you to be more like Jesus? Is there a character transformation that's happening? The process of salvation not based on Old Testament legalistic laws, but on something that's internal, the law of God written on your heart and the Spirit saying, man, you're saying, I want to be more like Jesus. That's a sign that you have the Spirit of God. Is he at work in your heart? You know, Paul says this, if, if you're controlled by the flesh, this is what happens, you know, basically in this verse. If, you, if, you're, if you're controlled by the flesh, then you don't belong to Christ. But if you're led by the Spirit, this is what will result. And he, he, he gives these contrasts. Again, look at verse 10. He gives us some more ifs. But if, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If... Verse 11, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ, from, Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You know, Paul told the Ephesians, he said this in Ephesians 5.18, he said, be filled with the Holy Spirit, which speaks, he says, don't be drunk on wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's saying, you know, constantly be filled with the Spirit of God. Not just one time. Not just a one-time event. It's a lifestyle to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Just like you would be drunk with alcohol and you would come under its controlling influence. Paul says this. You be controlled by the influence of the Holy Spirit. Let your life be controlled by Him. And it's interesting. What does he say will happen? The Spirit will give life to your body. You know, I just give glory to God. I like feel like crap today. Like just, you know, fighting the flu and this and that, get up in this morning, I just like, Lord, need your help. Need your help. And I, I just like thank the Lord because I like just feel like he's giving me life today, you know? He's given, given li- he's breathed into me strength that I don't have in and of myself physically. It's, it's empowerment by the Spirit. The Spirit of God does that. It's one of the signs that he's indwelling us. We can say, God, I don't know how to handle this, man. I I don't know how to get through this situation. I need you. I want to be filled by you. I need your power in my life. And Paul says again, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, there'll be life in your body. Are you thankful for the life the Holy Spirit gives us? Look what he says in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. So, you know, as I think about that verse, this is my thought in regards to that verse. It's not enough for you to have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to have you. The Holy Spirit has to have you. And that's what, what we're, we're, we're seeking to have. We, we don't, I don't want to just have him and live according to the flesh. I want him to have me and live according to the flesh to the spirit. Verse 13, he gives us another if. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, 
you will live. You know, one of the great things about Romans and this journey we've been on is that one of the things that's just spoken to me is this, is that the putting to death the deeds of the body is not something that I can do in and of my strength. Legalism, this and that. I'm dependent upon the Spirit of God to bring about that work, to change me, to transform me, to bring forth the fruit of holiness. We've seen that over different weeks. And so Paul says this, you know, put to death the deeds of the body. So the question is this, well, how do I do that? How do I put to death the deeds of the body? I want to give you a story from 1 Samuel, one of those stories, you know, the Old Testament soul just gives us all the examples that we ever need from Scripture. There's that great story, you know the story where the, the uh, Saul hasn't yet come to power and uh, the Israelites go into battle with the Philistines and they get hammered, they get pounded and so they decide, we're going to go meet these guys again and this time we're going to bring the Ark of the Covenant. You know the problem was we didn't have this thing that's that is the physical presence of God with us. We went into battle without the presence of God. And so we lost. And so they say, let's take the ark into battle. And so they take the ark into battle. But the thing was, is that they were treating this ark kind of superstitiously, like religious people. They didn't really recognize their true relationship with this thing. To them, it was just a religious, religious object. And so they brought it into battle superstitiously and they said, we're going to win the battle because we brought the ark with us. And what happened? Well, 1 Samuel tells us they get pounded again in battle. But this time, worse than all, the Philistines capture the ark. They capture the symbolic uh, instrument or piece of furniture that represented the presence of God. And the Philistines take that into the area of modern Gaza. And now the Israelites have lost this thing that represents God with them and the Philistines have it. And so 1 Samuel tells us this, that they, t- they took the ark, the Philistines took the ark and they served a God by the name of Dagon. And they had these different, you know, temples to Dagon and Dagon was this weird creature. Dagon was a, a God who was half fish and half man. I, I prefer a man who's, uh, a, a God who's, you know, man god they preferred a godfish and uh they worshiped him and so they set up the ark in front of this statue of dagon then they went to bed that night and the scripture tells us when they got up in the morning and they came to their temple the statue of dagon had fallen over in front of the ark of the lord and it was laying there so they picked dagon up they stood him back up and the next morning when they came They came back in and Dagon was laying again a second time before the ark of the Lord and his hands were broken off. I can't remember. Was his head broken off too? Maybe somebody can remember. His hands were definitely broken off. And and so what they did was rather than cluing in to what was going on that Dagon was falling in the presence of God, they stood Dagon back up and they said, we got to get this ark out of here. For he destroys our God. This, for this God of the Jews destroys our God. And they remove the ark of the Lord from the temple. I think that's a great picture about spiritual battle for us. Putting to death the misdeeds of the body. You know the way to gain victory with whatever you are struggling with? It's not 
to make the attempt to take Dagon by yourself. What you do is this. No, you, you bring the ark into Dagon's presence and before the presence of God, Dagon falls down. His hands get broken off. His ability to act or do anything. And the ark of God, the ark was the throne of God. It represented the presence of God amongst the people. And I would say this, bring the presence of God towards your Dagon. You know, whatever your Dagon is, bring in the presence of God. Allow the spirit of God to fill your heart. And when you do, man, that stuff, it will lose its power. It will lose its control over you. It will, it will you will lose your interest in that stuff that dominated you and controlled you. Not because you took on Dagon by yourself, but because you brought in the presence of God. So it's, Lord, I'm battling this fleshly issue. I need your spirit, God. I can't take this on by myself. I need it to fall in your presence. Will you help me? Amen. And so Paul says this. Look what he says about people who do that. Verse 14. If you're doing that in your life, you need to see verse 14. He says this. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. This is an identifying factor in your life. If you wonder, where am I at with Jesus? If you ever, in the face of your stuff, say, God, I cannot take this on. I need the Spirit of God to empower me in this moment. That is a sign that you are a son of God. And that's a, that's a you know, people, you know, often question that. Am I, Lord, am I your child? And, 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 being led by the Spirit identifies you as a son. You know, it's interesting. I was, I was looking at this, and, it, and I thought, you know, it's, it's kind of weird that Paul uses the language sons. Why does he call sons? I mean, why not children? Where's the ladies in this discussion? That's what I was thinking. And I, I was looking it up, and it's interesting. The, the text is being true to what Paul is saying by using the word sons because Paul is using something very specific here as he communicates this. Why does he not call us children of God here? And the reason is this, is that Paul is using a legal term in Roman culture. He's using a legal term from adoption. He's using a legal term in adoption and inheritance laws of first century Rome. And he's referring to the status of Christians, both men and women who've been adopted into God's family and who enjoy the privileges and the obligations and the inheritance rights of being God's children. And so he says, you're a son. You legally are an heir. You are legally adopted into the family. If you do this, man, no, the papers are signed and sealed and delivered, as we say in church once in a while. Look what he says in verse 15. Another sign that identifies you. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Paul's telling us, you're not under the bondage of the law. You don't need to fear. Rather, you call out on God like a child calls on his father. You ever catch yourself calling the Lord dad, daddy, father, Abba, Abba. Help me, daddy, I need you. If that ever comes out of your mouth, 
ever. That's a sign that you are a son, that you are legally in the family. That does not come natural to call. It does not come natural to call God daddy, does it? To call him father. He's our father. He's our He's our dad, and if we walk by the Spirit and we were led by the Spirit, we will instinctively call him Father, Abba, Dad, Daddy. And we'll have that kind of relationship where we'll recognize that he's the parent and I'm the child and I'm counting on you. Rescue me in this. That's, that's the life of the Spirit. Verse 16 See that clock back there. All right. Verse 16. We're going to wrap up real quick here. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so the evidence that we are children of God is that the Holy Spirit testifies. Here's the third thing he tells us. The Holy Spirit testifies with our own spirit. He bears witness. And so we know our status. Here's a, here, here are these things. We're, we're led by the Spirit of God. We, we call God Father. And our spirit bears witness within us. You need to have that bearing of witness within your own spirit. So if you're unsure about that, I'd say, Lord, you, you ask the Lord, Lord, I need you. I need the Holy Spirit to bear witness to my spirit. Would you please identify me as a son? Show me, Lord, that I'm your heir. And so we know our status as God's children because it's the Holy Spirit who makes these things clear. That's why Paul says, there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation for you. You're not subject to sin and you're not subject to the law. You're a son of the King of Kings. You're his child. And so, you know, I, I love that because I think, you know, for a long time in my Christian life, I wondered, you know, I just grew up in that kind of culture where it was like, if the pastor gave a little altar call, anybody want to, you know, accept Jesus? You backslid and this and I'm like, I got saved hundreds of times, man. I'm one of those guys. And, um, you know, we read this and it, and it just tells us that the Holy Spirit makes it clear. You know what the problem was? Nobody ever walked me through Romans chapter 8. God's children, Paul says, they know who they are. And there are benefits to being a child of God. We have the privilege of relating to God as our Father, just as Jesus did. We have the Holy Spirit. And it means that as his children, and because God is our Father, Paul says this, we're heirs. We're co-heirs with Christ. There's an inheritance that is coming to us. There is something future yet about our salvation as we work out the process today. And part of our inheritance is this, though. Don't totally love this, but he says this. Part of our inheritance is this, is that, that you, we will share in Jesus' sufferings and we will share in his glory. Now, I like the glory part, <laughs> not, not so much the suffering part. We know this certainly just because we're Christians doesn't mean that we're immune from suffering, does it? But it's a weird thought to me that, that it's weird to consider that, that sufferings, look at what he says here, sufferings are part of your inheritance. We're going to find this as we go on throughout 
Romans chapter 8, we're going we're gonna to find that all these things are working for us. That's the, that's the last thing Paul's going to tell us as we get on. We're going to find out that suffering is not working against us. Suffering is working for us. But sharing in suffering means this. I also get to share in his glory. You'll get to share in the glory of Jesus. And so knowing that we will share in his glory sets us up for where he's going to go next time when we cruise through here. And so, you know, when we can just consider some of these things, I guess I would say this, the life of security in Jesus is a life of freedom. Know who your master is. Know who you're a son of. Know the spirit of God comes down, uh, comes and, and dwells in you. And when you consider the application of this passage, the application is this. It comes down to a choice for you as you walk in Jesus. There's a choice. Will I walk in the things of the flesh or will I walk in the spirit? And as we're growing, the progression should be this, growth in walking in the things of the spirit. Amen, let's pray. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come. Would you guys stand with me? And as these guys are coming, I just want to pray for you. Lord, this morning we want, to, we want to thank you for the freedom that is in Christ Jesus. Lord, I thank you. Uh, Lord, I, I just pray, God, for all of us here this morning that, God, we would grow in what it means to be free, Lord, that you would just continue to reveal to us how we're free from the law and free from sin and we have the freedom to partner with the Holy Spirit. God, that's what I desire for my life. I know that's what these people desire. And so, Lord, I, I pray for them. Lord, that you, that you would help them, that God, from their lips would come, Abba, Father. From their hearts would come the cry, Holy Spirit, lead me. God, I pray that in, in lives here, right now, God, I just pray for something that I can't manufacture. I pray, God, that if, if there are your sons and daughters here that right now your Holy Spirit would just identify to their spirit that they belong to you. Lord, would you just do that in their hearts right now? And Lord, if there are people here who don't know you, I pray that their hearts would identify to them that they're not in the family. And God, I pray that you'd just draw them, that you'd woo them, that they would hear the invitation of the Spirit to say, you can be in the family. Just come to Jesus. I just point you to Jesus. Lord, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He points people to Jesus. And so Lord, Holy Spirit, we just partner with you. We point people to Jesus, I pray that by your power you would draw people right now in this moment to Jesus Christ, that he would be glorified in their hearts, in their lives, that they would surrender to him and invite him in, that they would be in Jesus. Lord, this morning I, I just want to thank you for life in Jesus. Thank you for freedom, God. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, that we're not subject to... to 
to sin, Lord, we can overcome. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to be legalists. You set us free from that. Lord, this morning, we cast our lives upon the Spirit of God. We say, lead us. Holy Spirit, lead us. Fill us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.